Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me as always, ladies and gentlemen, a legend of the 270 music circuit. He is the captain. Well, it's better than being the legend of looking out the window at clouds with loud farts. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling my friend. Today, lucky for us, there is still some East Pass IPA in the garage fridge. This is by the good people at Destin Brewery. This is a traditional style yet easy drinking India pale ale brewed with local Destin honey. Garage grade three and a half bottle caps out of five. And this week's beer was brought to us by our good friends. First up, a cheers to Meredith and her good, good friend Kim listening in parts unknown. And also in parts unknown, we have Samantha B. And a big shout out to Marianne in Dublin, Ohio. Next up, we have Renata in Manhattan. And a big we like your jib to Stacy in Hamilton, New York. I'd like to give a big shout out to Sophie Snotty Warrock, a wonderful teacher up in Alaska. And last but not least, a big garage fan. We have Angie Doyle. So cheers to all of you. And if you would like to contribute to the beer fund, go to truecrimegarage.com and just click on the donate button. If you'd like to support the garage and get something back in return, go to truecrimegarage.com. Check out our store page. we got some new Douche Canoe shirts in stock and also some more of the band The Van. And that's enough of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. I just feel like I need to, you know, speak my mind. There's nothing new. I just want to get my side out there because everybody's against me, it seems like, and I'm not, that's 
not what it should be like. I'm in here, prison over some stuff that I shouldn't even be here for. It just seems like people are forgetting about her. Obviously, the police aren't doing anything. So I just feel like the, they're not doing anything. Um, we put Haley on the bus. You know, we did everything we were supposed to. Ronald brought Haley home. I cooked dinner. I gave her baths. We played. Then we lay down and went to sleep. And then I woke up out of, I don't know why I woke up. I woke up and the kitchen light was on. And I ran to the bathroom. I ran to the kitchen to see what was going on. I thought maybe Ronald was home. He wasn't there. So I ran to my room to get my cell phone to call him. He wouldn't answer his phone over 20 times. Turn around and her, she's not in her bed. So I'm running around the house freaking out because she's not in her bed, she's not nowhere in the house. And then five minutes later, Ronald's pulling down the driveway and he just didn't even really look like he was upset. He just looked like he was more messed up on drugs. And when I called him, like 20 or 30 times I called him, he didn't answer the phone. And then the police come. It has nothing to do with me. I think they were trying to get it back at Ronald, whoever did this. If See, what I was told that Ronald used to sell drugs a lot when he was, before we got together, and he owed people money. See, one day we were at this bar, he was his family-owned bar, and I was sitting in the truck, I got out of the truck and was sitting, started to walk up to Ronald, and this black man was talking to him, and Ronald's like, I need you to go sit back in the truck. I said, why, why can't I hear? And the black man said that he knows where Haley is, the Mexicans have her, and if Ronald pays this much money back, then he'd go get her on Friday. And that was a while, long time ago. I don't know who would have took her. I don't understand why they would have took her. It just doesn't make sense to me. I guess I could talk about the abuse that Ronald gave to us. Um, all of us, me, Haley, and Junior went through abuse with him. He was always messed up on pills. Um, he used to beat us all the time. If the kids, if the kids would get in trouble, and I would sit home to stop, like he smacked his son in the face, and I got mad at him. I said, "Don't do that." He started bleeding. He laughed about it, and I got beat up for it because I stuck up for the kids all the time. You know, I had them kids 24/7. I took care of them kids. I gave them baths, took them to school, fed them, done everything with them. Their family didn't do anything. And they're out here putting blame on somebody that they shouldn't be putting blame on. And all I tried to do was be a mother figure to them kids because they didn't have a mother. And it just, it hurts me walking around here every day and, th and just knowing that the police even think that the funnest little girl you could ever be with. She was so sweet. I just loved being with her. You know, we used to do, go play together, ride four-wheelers, do all, all kind of stuff together, homework. She'd help me cook. Just all kind of stuff that she done. Do you miss her? A lot. A really lot. That kills me every day to know I was the last one seeing her. I walk around, most of the time crying, because it weighs on my mind. And just hurts because Ronald should know me better than any of them people, even his family, that I cared about his kids and would do anything for them. I'd give my life for Haley to come home right now. It's been hard. 
it's been real hard, but I have to keep myself strong because I'm not going to give up. Regardless, I'm going to fight this, and I'm going to fight to find Haley. Regardless, I'm never going to give up on her. And that's the only reason I'm being strong right now is for her. I'll never give up the hope and faith until they can show me. I'm never going to believe she's dead. They told me in court that if I could just tell them something, they would let me go. There's nothing I can tell them. Because if I knew something, they wouldn't know it from day one. I care about that little girl more than anybody knows. I mean, I had an okay childhood, I guess you can say, but it wasn't the best. Mom and Dad did try to provide for us, but they were strung out on drugs and alcoholics. We were living in Flagler County, and that's where I got raped, and that's when I stopped going to school. You know, I felt, I felt ashamed because I couldn't get up and read. In front of the class, I felt ashamed because I didn't know half the stuff the kids know because my family didn't sit with me and work with me. They were too worried about drugs. Only thing I did when I even got with Arnold was smoke marijuana. That's the only, thing, only kind of drugs I ever did. He introduced me to the pills. So I thought I was doing better, and then when I found out he was doing the pills and everything, I just was like, it's the same as when I was at home. And I tried to leave so many times, but couldn't. Why couldn't you? Because the kids. I just want, you know, people to see that I'm not what people put me out there to be, because I'm not, I'm not this bad person. What people think I am, I'm not. I made mistakes in my life. And now I'm paying my consequences for it. But it doesn't mean I'm a bad person. They can keep believing what they want to believe, because one day the truth will come out. And of course, that they're gonna, they're gonna, people are gonna talk regardless. And it don't hurt my feelings that they talk anymore. I'm so used to people talking, saying you did this, you did this, let them, because I know, and God knows that I didn't do anything wrong. So as long as I know. That's all that matters. Police initiated the search for Haley beginning at the trailer's open back door and down a wooden path, where they located what appeared to be a small child footprint in the dirt. Ron Cummings told police that Haley's shoes were still inside the home. The path led to a small pond and then to a railroad crossing. It then continued past the last residence on Green Lane and ended at a paved road in the neighborhood. This was a residential area with actual homes as well as trailers along its streets. There was no sign of Haley. Meanwhile, Ronald Cummings was televised clutching his daughter's photo and making a tearful plea for the return of Haley. Television crews were able to get there quickly because they were assembled for the Kaylee Anthony service that day, this not too far away. A visibly upset Crystal Sheffield, Haley's mom, was also present. She had been called by Ron's mother, Teresa, at 3.49 a.m., informing her that Haley was missing. The family held an evening vigil that night, as well as on several subsequent nights. 
Throughout the day, more than 130 officers from county, state, and federal law enforcement agencies commenced a search for Haley. Searchers scoured the area surrounding the neighborhood, including miles of surrounding woods. The search included helicopters, water units, and bloodhounds, which searched a five-mile radius around the girl's home, including the banks of the St. John's River, which is about 300 yards from the residence. The dogs were given pieces of Haley's clothing to smell. One of the dogs hit on a scent immediately and led straight to the river along a path that led to the Seven Sisters boat ramp. This is about 500 yards away from the home, but the scent ended there. The next day, February 11th, the road to the neighborhood was closed and people coming in and out were both searched and questioned. 150 police cars scoured the neighborhood. The retirement community nearby was searched as well were the woods. Texas EquiSearch arrived to aid in the efforts to find Haley, and hundreds of volunteers came out. Sheriff Hardy said at the end of the day that the search would expand further out. Investigators found several items of interest during a search of the near area, but later stated that nothing came of these items. Divers and search boats checked the St. John's River following initial signs of Haley's scent picked up by the dogs, but they found nothing. By 4 p.m. on the 11th, the Putnam County Sheriff's Office publicly declared the case an abduction. There was no evidence around the house that led investigators to think the girl wandered away on her own. Well, that becomes confusing to me because the footprint I can make sense of. She, she could have left that footprint at any time. But the scent dogs pick up a scent from her that lead her to these docks, right? Yeah. So the way that I, I envision this is it's two ways. One, the footprint, I'm sure that they probably are leaning towards the probability that it's not even her footprint. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, regarding the scent, okay, so she didn't wander off on her own. I'm guessing now we have to keep in mind that, that this, like so many other things that we discuss in these cases, this scent that's picked up, be it whether she would be walking on her own or somebody carrying her, we got to keep in mind, this is all based off of one, the quality of the dog that found that scent Mm -hmm. and two, the quality of the handler for the dog. So I'm guessing if you have a, a high quality dog high quality handler, they would detect that scent even if she was carried from the home. Right. Okay. Now they're not going to have any scent to, let's say somebody carried her from the home, placed her in that boat ramp or, or used the boat ramp to dump her body somewhere in the water. The dogs aren't going to pick up on the, the other scents that they have there because they have nothing to base that off of. Mm-hmm. They're not going to go, okay, well a perpetrator then, dumped her there and took off in this direction afterwards. But I think the key things too here is also we have Ronald Cummings statements to investigators. He says there's no way that Haley could have opened the back door by herself. He states that it was normal protocol for the door to be locked. This is with a deadbolt Mm -hmm. and Haley was not very tall. She's very young. He says she could not physically reach the deadbolt. Right. And they said it was also very difficult for an adult to lock or unlock this. So one, I wonder 
if this is the type of door, I had a basement door one time that in order for the door to be shut, the deadbolt had to be locked. Mm-hmm. If that deadbolt wasn't locked, the door wasn't shutting on its own. So that's one question. But also, at time and time when I see these interviews, it's I'm constantly hearing that that a child could not open up this door, but I'm only hearing that from him and his girlfriend. I'm not hearing that from law enforcement. At least I couldn't find that. Mm -hmm. I find it interesting that they say she could not reach the, the deadbolt. Mm -hmm. I think that could be easily deduced by the investigators there rather than the statement of she could not physically open it. Right. So furthermore, we have, statements from the family saying that Haley wouldn't leave at night. She was afraid of the dark. She was afraid of strangers. So Sheriff Hardy comes out and says publicly, all the world's a suspect right now. Okay, Captain, it's time again for the old pervert roundup. Mm-hmm. Officials My from favorite. the sh- <laughs> My favorite time. Officials from the sheriff's office and investigators from the FBI began the tedious, painstaking process of talking to all of the registered sex offenders within a five-mile radius of the house. This was 44 individuals that they were going to be checking on. Within two days, police interviewed all of these registered sex offenders or confirmed their whereabouts on the night Haley went missing. You know when that you when you interview a, a pervert, you know how you interview them, right? No table. You want you want to see them. You want to see where their hands are at all time. Because if you start talking about this stuff and they start reaching down and a little flicky flicky, you know something's up. According to detectives on the case, all of them checked out from the time that Haley was last seen up until the time she allegedly disappeared around three in the morning. Officers did arrest a sexual predator who was living near Haley's home who have violated his curfew in the days after she was reported missing. But his GPS tracking device showed that he was not in the area of her home the night that she was last seen. (laughs) Wait, is he wearing something? Yeah, he's wearing a tracking device. Okay. But, I mean, not all of them are wearing tracking devices. Well, that's that's what we mean by our statement of they either spoke to mm-hmm. or they were able to confirm their whereabouts on the night in question. Right. Detective John Merchant discovered that another one of these registered sex offenders had left the area, but he was very quickly located in Nebraska and had a solid alibi. Now, police did say that no one would be... 100% eliminated, but authorities felt okay moving on from this aspect of their investigation. Right. Ronald Cummings made additional TV appearances pleading with the public for the return of his daughter. He stated repeatedly that he had no involvement in his daughter's disappearance. How did that work? And that his girlfriend, Misty Crossland, was not at fault for being the last known person to see Haley. No one from Ron to the police seemed to believe that Haley's disappearance had anything to do with parental custody, any type of disputes between him and Crystal Sheffield. Yeah, now Crystal came out and said, one, he was abusive and he's a giant piece of shit, but she also did state that he did love his daughter. Mm -hmm. By February 15th, with nothing having been found, officers announced that they were calling off the ground searches. 
they switched to a different kind of search at this time. Cadaver dogs were brought in to search the area. One of the dogs alerted to a large dumpster near the family's trailer home, which was searched extensively, but nothing of note was found inside. Mm -hmm. Sheriff's deputies and crime scene units processed and searched the trailer home and found a couple of puzzling things. There were no signs of forced entry. If someone had pried open the back door of the home, there is no evidence of that. Investigators wondered if maybe the perpetrator had propped open the door so he could just easily slip out carrying the child. But how did he get in the door in the first place if it was locked from the inside, as Misty and Ronald both stated? Right. Some other things that they found that began to raise investigators' suspicions. One was a small pink shirt. This was found in the washing machine or a laundry pile. The reports vary. This was the shirt that Haley was supposedly wearing the night that she went missing, per the Amber Alert. But Misty had said on the 911 call that Haley was dressed in her pajamas. So, again, which is it? And the beds in the home, you pointed this out earlier, but I purposely waited to go into this. The, The beds in the home were placed on the floor, not on a bed frame. Mm-hmm. So Misty's assertion that she searched under the beds, this, I mean, this doesn't add up. It doesn't make any right. goddamn sense. There's no room under these beds. Can you imagine? I, um, I search under the beds. Really? You, <laughs> you picked up the beds off the floor? And these weren't the only inconsistencies in Misty's story. While she had told the 911 operator and the initial deputies that she had got up to get a drink, she later said that she got up to go to the restroom. Right. So Again, I think some of that stuff bothers people more than it bothers me. Another inconsistency was that Misty initially told investigators that she had been asleep in the master bed with both kids, but later told police that Haley had been asleep in her own bed, which was a little mattress on the floor in the corner of the bedroom. Police continued to talk to Misty, Ron, and others in the extended families of both. Everyone was described as, quote, cooperative, but detectives noted that Misty's story kept changing. You know, I I just want to bring this up because you hear a lot of times when they're interviewing family members that they keep saying she wouldn't have gone with a stranger. And, you know, that that Haley wouldn't have just gone willingly, that she would have cried or she would have done something because she was speaking Right. So, but my issue with that is how many times have these people picked up a sleeping child? Sometimes they wake right up and sometimes they don't wake up at all. Mm-hmm. So I just, but I kept finding that in every interview that I heard that they just kept bringing that up. Like it was like this big thing. And I'm like going, okay, well, first of all, she might have knew the person or possibly she never woke up. Yeah, and both could be going on. And whether you have those statements coming from the family or from police, that's always interesting to me because in some cases it's just the police saying that. But these are these are all going to be general questions that they are going to ask the family. In a way, if they're releasing those statements, they're almost putting some public suspicion on the parents as well. That's leverage. That is to leverage against them. But... 
at the same time, you come forward and you say, everyone that we've spoke to, including Misty and Ron and the families, they've all been cooperative. Right. But because they are, even if they are suspicious of anybody in that circle, yeah. they want everybody to know that we think that they're being cooperative because A, they are talking to us and B, we're going to let that publicly be known because we do not want to put up any walls, any barriers. We want to keep open those lines of communication because that's where they're going to find their clue. That's right. where they're going to find out what's going to lead them to the, the conclusion of this thing. Now, another thing that made police suspicious is that there are no signs of a struggle or any disruption within the trailer home itself. Mm -hmm. There was also no blood, no signs of any recent cleaning. Now, from what Misty was telling authorities, at some point in the night, someone had somehow opened the locked trailer door, propped it open, silently entered the room where Misty, Ron Jr., and Haley were sleeping, mm -hmm. and carried out the child all without making a sound or leaving any evidence whatsoever other than the child's blanket. There was a blanket that was found outside of the back door of the home. Very sneaky. Yeah, well, and th this just doesn't seem very likely. Well, it's weird, though, too, because there was there's the statements from the brother of Haley stating that he saw uh, a man with a black hoodie in the room. Mm -hmm. and And then they have since said that those they can't believe those statements because his statements have changed too but he's he's also, three he's yeah. a kid yeah uh, i do want to point out that the um you know the no one seems to believe that this door was pried open there was no evidence of that mm -hmm. but we should also note that investigators did remove the back door and they took this away with them but this, this whole back door being locked thing with the dad going it's always locked or Misty saying that this door is always locked. It's like there's a unless the door does not shut without it being locked, there is a possibility that it was just left unlocked. Which is so strange to me because of there not being pry marks. And I say that because you have the two people who have fallen under the most suspicion as constantly confirming their belief that that door was locked. Their story of an abduction is more believable without pry marks on the door. If they would say, right, we don't know that we lock, we can't say for certain that we locked it. There were times that we've left the door unlocked. Right. So that, that's a weird, that's one of those ones where it kind of, it you, goes in their favor. Yeah. You put a tally mark on their side of the paper. They go, yeah, and, and they've changed their story. It, it, it sometimes becomes, are you stupid? Are you a liar? Right? But this one is strange. This comment's strange because they've changed their story. I've never seen once in any interview either one of them saying, it's possible it was unlocked. I mean, they're dead set that it's impossible. Well, let's go through where Ron was that night because this is very important to this case. In the course of the police interviews, it emerged that Ron had left the afternoon before to start his overnight shift at PDM Bridge. This is about 20 miles away. Ron appears to have punched in when he said, uh, when he did, this is around 4.15 p.m., mm -hmm. and he punched out when he said he did, sometime just before 3 a.m. Do they have cameras on this? I don't believe that there are cameras on this. Mm. 
because we do have some other video footage that was that police have discussed. Mm -hmm. And this is that they found video footage of him, of Ronald, at a convenience store. This is after he got off work, after he punched out and drove a bit of his way home. He's there buying beer, peanuts, and cigarettes after he got off work. Party. It does not appear from the video that he is in any way agitated, upset, or anxious, or rushing to return to his home for any reason. Mm. But more information also came out in the course of the investigation. According to phone records, Ron had attempted to call Misty some 20 times that night, and she had not answered her phone. So what was Misty doing while she was supposed to be home with Ron's kids? She said she was home doing laundry and sleeping, but Mm -hmm. we have to question that. As weeks went by, investigators said Misty constantly changed her story. She added or took out little details. She wavered about the time frame. She had no explanation for all of the questions. Detective John Merchant, he spent hours with her and said, quote, she has never had the same story. According to Merchant, Misty tripped up often on the details of that night. Now, there has been a lot of talk of polygraphs and who took them and the results of those tests. Rather than spending a lot of time on this, we will summarize this by saying the Putnam County Sheriff's Office, their officers confirmed that all of the people interviewed had been offered the chance to take lie detector tests. Mm-hmm. Their statement is, Some of those persons took tests, but law enforcement would not confirm their identities or what the results were. Right. And this is where you're getting different stories because on the Today Show, you have the the parents coming forward and saying, hey, we took lie detectors and we passed. And that's what the cops are telling us. Again, is that actually what happened or is that them controlling the narrative? The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL 
is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners, get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com garage. Visit IXL.com garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. 
Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we're back. Cheers, Captain. Cheers, everybody. Be a pirate. Despite the police suspicions, Ron and Misty put on a united front and participated in lots of media interviews. (laughs) It seemed like Ron refused to throw Misty under the bus. And Mm -hmm. one month after Haley disappeared, they got married. According to Misty, Ron had made a surprise proposal at a Chili's restaurant. Their pastor refused to host the wedding at the church, so the couple married in the yard of a friend's home on March 12. Chili. It's very romantic. Moving on real quick here, Captain. Mm -hmm. In the summer of 2009, the Putnam County Sheriff's Office made a significant public statement. The statement said that whoever took Haley was someone she knew. The evidence had, quote, minimized the likelihood that a stranger was involved in her disappearance. Mm -hmm. And investigators considered Misty Crossland to be key in Haley's disappearance, saying that her sketchy account of the events that night was contradicted by the physical evidence. Finally, officials stated that Ronald Cummings and Crystal Sheffield were not considered suspects. The feeling among law enforcement was unanimous. Misty Crossland knew more than she was saying, and she possibly even knew where Haley was. And then we have this. A serial podcast on the case by a local journalist reports that Misty had gone on a three-day drug bender with another man known as White Boy Greg and cheated on Ron over the weekend that immediately preceded Haley's disappearance. Okay, White Boy Greg. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, I just want to make sure I got that correct. She was also hanging out with friends who were heavy into drugs. Mm -hmm. Ron was pissed off about all of this and told Misty that she had to babysit his kids that night, February 9th, while he went to work. Misty did not want to watch the kids, but apparently she was forced into it. Now, we know on the 9th, Ron left for work around 3.30 p.m. We do. We know that he tried to call Misty 20 times that night, according to the call records. And after 3 a.m., he returned home after visiting a convenience store. And frankly, that's about the last of the actual facts that we have for the hours before the 911 call. Mm-hmm. The rest is rumor, gossip, and speculation. And Captain, I want to take a big dive into that nasty pool. Well, I hope you've had your shots. 
well, put on your raincoat because there's going to be some shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so let's let's start with Joe Overstreet, okay? Mm-hmm. Police quickly determined that Misty's first cousin, Joe Overstreet, was visiting from Tennessee when Haley vanished. Yeah. He was staying down the street with Misty's brother, Tommy Crossland, and his wife, Chelsea. There were rumors that Tommy and Joe had been hanging out with Misty in the trailer that night, possibly partying. Ron Jr. told police that a man in black, this is the little boy that you pointed out earlier, mm-hmm. pointed, said that a man in black entered the trailer and took his sister. Now, no one put much stock in that statement, in the statements of a little three-year-old boy, but you have to wonder, is that statement in part confusion from seeing Joe Overstreet and Tommy Crossland there earlier that night? Right. Did he fall asleep earlier? According to Misty's statements, no, this they would have put the kids to bed around eight. Now, adding fuel to the fire, we have Misty. She tells investigators that she could not rule out that Joe had been involved. Furthermore, Joe Overstreet left Florida for Tennessee on February 10th, the day after Haley disappeared. Now, investigators flew to Tennessee and interviewed Joe. He denied any involvement, and they didn't have any record of anything that would indicate culpability in the abduction of a little girl. Right. Next, we have Tommy Crossland. Tommy is Misty's brother. He's one of the people who Misty says was at the trailer home with her that night with the kids. Just so you know what kind of guy he is, he was arrested in September of 2009 on a grand theft charge for stealing a gun from a neighbor And he had multiple drug arrests in the past. Mm. Officers confirmed that he was questioned in connection with Haley's disappearance. But both Tommy and Ron apparently told police that on the night that Haley disappeared, Tommy got a call, a phone call from Ron saying that he could not get in touch with Misty and asking him to head over to the mobile home to check on her and his kids. Now, their statements are that Tommy went over there, but there were no lights on and no one responded to his knock when he knocked on the trailer door. So he left. Right. And we'd have record of that for the phone records of Ronald McDonald's phone. Well, and if he is telling the truth, this is what's interesting here. We both have Ron saying this as Mm -hmm. well as Tommy. Now, Ron, it won't be able to confirm if Tommy actually went to the trailer or not. Right. But they are both saying that this phone call happened and that he was asking Tommy to go to the house. So if Tommy is telling the truth, then we have to wonder where is Misty? Because it appears that no one is present at the trailer. If he isn't telling the truth, we have to wonder what he is hiding. Then in the months after Haley vanished, police received a tip saying that Misty attended a house party on the night that Haley was last seen and that she brought Haley and Ron Jr. with her to this party. This would have been about 15 miles away. More than one person interviewed by police verified that Misty was there with the kids. Unverified information gathered by police stated that Haley was either given or somehow got into some drugs at this party and OD'd. Right. One witness told investigators that Haley died and left the party in the trunk of a car and was then dumped in a pond. The pond that was referenced was about 
two miles from the party down a dirt road in a thickly wooded, isolated area. Yeah, this is the one that they're going to drain. Yes, yes. Law enforcement emphasized that none of the partygoers had the same story, though. So this is where we we have some. This is. I mean, this is just. There's piles of shit in this story. Just piles of shit. Mm-hmm. So it's just, we got a piles piles of shit got together and had a party. Now they're claiming that this this girl OD'd and then they dumped her in a pond. And what what kind of pieces of shit sit around and let this happen? Well, of course, this party theory would explain a lot. It would explain why Ron couldn't get in touch with Misty that night, meaning she likely turned off her phone or or left it behind or or just chose not to answer it. It would explain why Tommy found no one at the home when he went there and knocked on the door. Mm -hmm. Okay, here's another possibility in this in this whole mess. Right? Is perhaps. Misty wanted to go out and party, so she drugged the kids and left them in the trailer, and Haley died because of this. Misty arrived back at the home, knowing Ron would be home soon, and discovered the body and hid it in the dumpster that the cadaver dogs hid on, and then thought better of that and carried it down to the river, disposing of the body. Mm -hmm. Now, law enforcement, as you pointed out, spent three days draining the pond that we mentioned in that tip, but found absolutely nothing. I, I believe if the second story was true that they would have the cadaver dogs would have hit on more areas. So we have this too. Remember we stated that there were there it, were witnesses. It, it, wait, hold on. And because this is so close to Casey Anthony, is it is that the thing here? Like we don't want to babysit anybody, let's just drug them. Zanny the nanny. This is Zanny the nanny number two. Well, we have at least one person who signed an affidavit stating that Haley OD'd on Oxycontin at the party. Okay, this individual is Joe Pyko, I believe is how you say his name. White boy Joe. P-Y-T-K-O. This is supposedly a friend of Misty's. He said Tommy was at the party as well, and Tommy helped dispose of the body. And then we also have this other individual, Christina. Prevat, I believe is how you say her last name. Again, supposedly another friend of Misty's who was arrested for drugs. She supposedly wrote a letter from prison saying that Joe Pico had told the police that she, Christina, had helped white boy Greg put Haley's body into a black bag and dispose of it in a pond. This is all very confusing. It, right. It's it's weird. It's like we have a whole bunch of people turning on one another, but none none of these stories are adding up. Right now, but, the right, but then you also wonder because there is a time that Misty stops cooperating with the police. I mean, for the most part, she's cooperating, but then they bring in uh, like a new detective, and he's kind of yelling and telling her that she's lying and blah blah blah, and she just says, "I'm not going to talk anymore." And so you wonder, because she's a kid, and is white boy Greg, is this guy, is is he a kid? Are the people that she's partying with, are they 16, 17 years old? Mm-hmm. Well, how old are they? How much pressure are they getting from the cops? Are, are the cops getting them to make up stories? Mm-hmm. Because they feel, you know, you see what I mean? Like, we're going to bring these people into question. They're, they're pieces of shit. They're losers. They're addicted to drugs. 
and 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 we can't believe anything that they're saying, but are they just tossing stuff out there, you know, so they don't get in trouble? Well, on October 14th, Lisa Crossland, this is Misty's mother, she is arrested on charges of fraud, forgery, and larceny. And then the next day, Misty and Ron divorced. Misty, Misty blamed the stress of Haley's situation or the disappearance of Haley for the demise of the marriage. I blame the Chili's proposal. Divorce didn't seem to end things for Ron and Misty. Uh, they continued to hang out together, and we, we saw that publicly. Later, Tommy was arrested, Misty's brother, after being found with a stash of drugs and Misty's father, Hank Croslin, was arrested in November for fraudulently obtaining prescription drugs. This is all leading up to a, a major event in this whole case and story. In January of 2010, a sting operation netted several people in this case. Undercover narcotics agents were able to purchase over 300 prescription pain pills from Misty Croslin in seven different transactions. The whole thing went down on video, nailing both Ron Cummings and now 18-year-old Misty. And you know what I think this was? What? I think that they were very suspicious of them, and they couldn't connect the dots in Haley's disappearance. So this was a way to, we'll get them, but on a, on a different level. Right. And it's really a no lose situation for this type of operation, right? Because you have individuals that you know are dealing in drugs mm -hmm. and you suspect them of being guilty of, of much worse, worser crimes. And you can go in this and you can, you can go to your superiors and say, we can validate our actions and time spent and money spent and effort spent on these getting these people mm -hmm. because we think it's a home run. We, we can't miss on this thing. One. And then two, this might end up solving a much bigger crime. Right. Because with the weight of these charges, will somebody come forward and actually conf confess to the truth? So throughout these seven different transactions, uh, the, the whole thing went down on video. This was all recorded for evidence purposes. They ended up nailing both Ron Cummings and now 18-year-old Misty. But the other arrestees included Misty's brother Tommy, um, someone named Hope Sykes, this is Ron's cousin, mm -hmm. and Misty's friend Donna Brock. The group faced multiple counts of trafficking in prescription medications, with Misty facing the most, with eight counts. The St. John's County Sheriff's Office released hours of video captured from jailhouse visits involving both Misty and Tommy, her brother, mm -hmm. in a visit with his daughter, we have Hank Crossland, Misty's father. He is seen telling her, telling Misty, quote, Misty, don't be lying about nothing because it's all going to, all it's going to do is bury you deeper. The Haley stuff has got to come to an end. It has to, Misty. Which is so strange. There's so many little similarities in this case to the Casey Anthony case. And there remains this one last tale. This mm. takes place in August of 2010. New information emerged. Misty and Tommy were talking, and they were both pointing the finger at the same person. Misty's attorney issued a statement that on February 9th, Misty's cousin, Joe Overstreet, 
had come to the trailer home and abducted Haley. Misty and Ron Jr. cowered under the covers, heard Joe take Haley, and heard a van door open and or close. Misty said she saw a black bag placed over the girl. It came out later that Misty told investigators a similar story back in January of 2010. This is where she even described the black bag, rope, and blocks that were used to weigh down the body. She now said Haley was dumped at the Shell Harbor boat ramp. This is about five miles from the Cummings home in an area of the river that had not been searched yet. Right, but this is still the area that the scent dogs tracked? No, this this was not in, in that area. Mm, So So it's a different dock. Yeah. Okay. And so through his attorney in August of 2010, Tommy Crossland also made a statement, similar statement, that on the night of February 9th, the morning of the 10th, his cousin Joe Overstreet had been looking for a machine gun that he believed Ron had. So Joe and Tommy, according to this statement given by Tommy, White boy Tommy, yeah. They went to the trailer where Misty and the kids were. This is around midnight. Now, not finding the gun that they were searching for, Joe Overstreet killed Haley. Tommy says he didn't see the killing, but said Joe threatened Misty with a knife. He said he saw Haley's quiet and limp body, and under duress, he accompanied Joe to the Shell Harbor boat ramp where Joe dumped her body into the St. John's River. Right, but they're claiming that that he killed her in the trailer with a knife? No, he threatened Misty with a knife. And then and took, Tommy says mm-hmm. that he did not see the killing of Haley. Okay. He only saw the body after she was already dead. Right. So the gist of that is that the two men were going to steal this machine gun. And for whatever reason, not finding that gun... His statement, Tommy's statement, is that Joe Overstreet put a knife to the throat of Misty and took Haley, and that the body was dumped near into the St. John's River. Right, and it's very possible they were on drugs. At the Shell Harbor boat ramp. Mm-hmm. So Joe Overstreet is questioned several times and was the subject of lengthy surveillance and investigation. He has never been named a suspect or charged in Haley's disappearance. He has denied any involvement. He was arrested in August of 2010 on drug charges, but there has never been any connection to Haley other than that alleged by both Misty and Tommy Crossland. And it makes you wonder also, was she, you know, she's threatened with a knife before Haley is taken. Was she threatened more to keep, you know, keep your mouth shut? And and maybe that's why her story kept changing and changing and changing because she's making up as she went along. Mm-hmm. Well, in one interview with the media, Joe broke down. He broke down into tears uh, when he was asked if there was he had any possible connection to Haley's disappearance. He said, quote, if I knew who did it, I would go straight and call the cops and tell them who did it. And quote, his attorney said Joe is being targeted by family members. I do want to point out, he's the same guy that left the next day, the yeah. day after the disappearance. But in all fairness to to Joe Overstreet, we need to point out that Joe and Ron together were passing out Haley's missing flyer before Joe left for Tennessee on the 10th of February. Mm-hmm. Now, with these statements, a search of the water near the Shell Harbor boat ramp began. 
Police brought Misty in handcuffs to the boat ramp, and she is seen on video footage pointing to certain areas of the river. Mm-hmm. Cadaver dogs were used. Divers spent days searching the waters around the boat ramp, but came up empty-handed. They found, according to the sheriff, only alligator toenails. According to St. Augustine Beach Police Chief Robert Hardwick, who was the assistant chief investigator for the state's attorney's office at the time, in the squad car on the way back to jail, Misty Crossland said, quote, never mind, I'm not telling the truth. Hmm. So basically, had she made up the whole thing, you have to wonder. Again, again, it's another story by very, Misty. Yeah, and very similar to the Casey Anthony. It's also possible where things sit today that that Misty may never talk or never tell the truth mm-hmm. about what happened to Haley, or that the truth about what happened to Haley is even worse than the rumors that we have heard. Now, in April of 2011, sentences were handed down for Misty, Tommy, and Ron on the drug trafficking charges after they pled no contest. Ron and Tommy each got 15 years. Their scheduled release date is May 16th, 2024. Now, they threw the book at Misty, who had the most counts against her, giving her 25 years. She will get out on March 29th, 2034. Right, but they were hoping that she would break. Yeah, and that's what's very difficult about this this whole thing. Since 2013... Crystal Sheffield has been arrested for petty theft, disorderly intoxication, and possession of drug paraphernalia. This is especially tragic because she had custody of little Ron Jr. as his father remains in prison. I do not know who has custody of the boy currently. Well, it seemed like all their parents were not doing so well either. So, I mean, it's a sad situation for any any children involved. And in 2010, the Putnam County Sheriff, Jeff Hardy, conducted a news conference in which he stated, quote, over the past few weeks, information has been obtained by investigators that led them to believe Haley Cummings is most likely deceased. The information they had uncovered has, quote, minimized the likelihood that Haley's disappearance is the work of a stranger. Hardy reiterated that Misty Crossland is still the key to the case. He did say they have some persons of interest, but would not elaborate. A year after Haley vanished, remember, the case was officially declared a homicide. So primary, the primary investigators on this case seem to all agree that Misty Crossland knows what happened to Haley. They, they don't necessarily believe that Haley is murdered or was murdered, mm-hmm. per their statements. But state's attorney Robert Mathis and detective John Merchant believe Haley died accidentally, although they aren't sure where or how saying, quote, I think that somebody gave the child some drugs or the child got some drugs accidentally and she died and people panicked and had to get rid of the body. And most people agree that it's very unlikely that Misty was able to pull this off by herself. So we have other people that are likely involved and it is very probable that she had some help and that others know exactly where Haley is. It's unclear exactly what Ron, Tommy, Joe, and perhaps others might know about the little girl's fate. 
And that's where a lot of people sit now is the idea that it's a four person conspiracy of this missing girl. Yeah, because I mean, those are the the four that are often most mentioned. But on top of that, within those four, you have those people turning on one another. Yeah. So Haley's case did just observe an unwelcome milestone. This was in February of 2019. It was the 10 year anniversary of the little girl's disappearance. Mm -hmm. My thoughts, Captain, I, this one really is tough to sift through. I know we dropped the S bomb a bazillion times in these two episodes, but it's because we can't get a straight answer from who I believe. And it seems like law enforcement have publicly stated, believe are key is key to the case. Right. That being Misty, her story changing, also her pointing the finger at other individuals. But where I, where I really go to this is if you could sift through all that and if you could weed out the lies from the, the shit. from okay. the truth, there, mm. there could be some truths in here. And I find it difficult logistically for Ron to have been involved in whatever caused the death of Haley. That doesn't mean that he didn't know after the fact and has chosen for whatever weird reason to cover up for somebody else. Right. But his, his time, unlike a lot of the other people's time is accounted for, for that night. Right. And that makes it very difficult for me. I, I actually lean towards the side of, of Ronald's tears and frustration and sadness being real uh, and not a put on. Well, his ex, yeah, right. His ex claims that any time that you've seen him be emotional, this is fake because when he's actually emotional, it's different than that. But again, that's an ex. So, you know, how can we believe her? And she's, you know, piece of shit herself. But Ronald McDonald is the, he's the weirdest one. I mean, because one, he's an ass clown. So if, if anybody's wondering why I'm calling him Ronald McDonald's, because he's ass clown. But that's weird because this four-person conspiracy, I, I agree with you. You know, at first it's like, well, I'm at work. I'm at work. I'm at work. So I couldn't be involved. I wonder if the reason why white boy Tommy and white boy Joe are at the trailer that night and the reason, you know, if there's some truth to uh, them threatening her and, and then taking Haley, is he the reason why they're there and that's why he's gone along with it. But according to that story, the only reason why he would be there is for this machine gun that they wanted to steal. Right, but we don't know if that is the truth or not, is what I'm saying. Is we don't know which parts of the story are true or, or which are not. I, I, it just doesn't make any sense why he'd go along with it. Well, I don't know that he has gone along with it. Uh, it may just be simply that he is innocent and doesn't know what happened. Right. Because the only people offering up that statement is Tommy and Misty. And it's it's bizarre that she would come up with this whole story. I understand the threat level that she's claiming there. But it's it's bizarre that she would cover up this story for so long. And then we have the the sheriff's statement that says, you know, when I'm when we didn't find anything in that river, in that area of the river, and I'm driving her back to jail, she says, Never mind. I made the whole thing up. So how I don't many get it because there's 
when she's talking in, in that clip that you hear earlier from when she's in prison, she says she doesn't care what people say about her or what they think, but she knows and God knows. And it's like, but tell the truth and, and there could be some closure for this little girl that you claim that you cared about. And, and there's really no proof that you cared about her, but you can, you can put some proof out to the world to say, Hey, this is what happened and, and give some closure to her. Well, one thing that's very different in regards to Misty and Ron, Misty's story has always changed and it's varied greatly. Yeah. Varied greatly. Ron's story has always been very simple. I went to work. I came home. My daughter was gone. And then on top of that, we have his phone records. Mm-hmm. If those pings are putting him at work, that's why I think that we have police publicly saying Ron is not a suspect, but Misty is the key to the case. No. Because if they can say, all right, he punched in, we know that. He punched out. We know that we have other people at work saying he was there that night. We have his cell phone. Who's being, I don't know how much work he got done during that night because he's calling Misty constantly. Some people have speculated that was so he could orchestrate everything and and give himself an alibi. The problem with that is most of his calls, 20 something of them have not, they've gone unanswered. So, if we believe, if we can believe anything out of all of these different stories, there's very, there's very little that we need to believe to exclude Ron from being involved in the demise of this little girl. That's not to say that he didn't know after the fact, but I couldn't see any other reason for him to have known at any time what happened and to hold on to it. But if we can believe two things. If we believe his statement and Tommy's statement that they had a phone call, that they shared a phone call together where Ron is asking Tommy to go over to the trailer, mm-hmm. that there puts that that puts points in Ron's side where he's less likely to have been involved in whatever happened to this to the death of this little girl, be it accidental or otherwise. And then on top of that, we have a statement where we have a witness. Now, it is Ron's mother, but Ron's mother saying, you know, I saw the kids. I saw Haley. I saw Ron Jr. eating dinner on the front porch at this time. This is after Ron went to work. And there's just not enough time for him to leave work, go to the convenience store, and then get all the way home to have much involvement at all before that 911 call is placed. But yeah, I, I, I question because of his actions when he's answering questions and he looks like he's going to smile or he's concerned about his stupid little chain, his stupid little haircut, stupid little mustache. And he's almost cracking a smile on the today show when he's answering questions about his missing daughter. We have proof that he made a phone call to somebody, but we don't have any proof on, on what that call was about and why they were going over there. If that part of the story is true. And the sad thing is, Here's this girl that could have grown up and she would have had a lot of adversity to get through to have a a better life because she was surrounded by awful people. And the sad thing is these awful people are responsible for her death.
If you have thoughts on this case or comments you would like to leave us, make sure you check out our blog at truecrimegarage.com. And also, we'd like to recommend a little reading for you this week. There's a new fantastic book out called Ted Bundy, The Angel of Decay. This is by Paul Leonardo. So recently, with the Netflix movie coming out about Ted Bundy, I think this is good timing on Paul's part because there's a lot of renewed interest in Ted Bundy and wanting to learn about his crimes. And this is a great way to do it. Check out Ted Bundy, The Angel of Decay. We will have that listed on our website on the recommended page. Also, recommended listening. Check out the Stitcher app if you don't already have it. It's free to download. You get all of our old episodes. And check out our other show, Off the Record, available on Stitcher Premium. And until next week, be good, be kind, and don't litter. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes.